goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's the return of Mark Stein. 77 WABC welcomes back Mark Stein. All part of American Heart Month. 77 WABC cares. He's always mistakenly British. Teen Crumpets. Cheerio. But he's really a Canuck. Known on all seven continents. Oh, I know who you are. America's undocumented anchorman. He's a recording star and a TV star. Tuesdays, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, presents Mark Stein. I'm wondering if there's any truth to the rumor that Alvin Bragg is asking about extradition policies in Vermont and New Hampshire. <laughs> he's welcome. He's welcome to try. I I scoff at the entire American justice system, and so should you, James. <laughs> Mark. I would like to scarf, but a lot of people are worried, Mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, when Donald Trump comes out, it, I was on the air, and it's, all of a sudden we get breaking news, Donald Trump, I expect to be arrested. I was actually shocked, Mark. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I mean, yeah. there have been rumors, all of this, but I was like, oh, come on. He'll, this guy's not that crazy. He'll never do this. And all yeah. of a sudden, yeah. Because normally so he, it's the sort of thing that happens in some broken down, no account, banana republic, where the governing party has its uh, rival party's uh, uh, election candidate uh, arrested. That isn't the sort of thing that normal countries do, but apparently is about to happen in the United States. Now, there's a lot of pressure. First of all, you had the brilliant uh, political analyst, Chris Rock. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i <laughs> say say what you want but actually he would make a better uh district attorney for manhattan than this other fellow so uh I'm, I'm prepared to give chris rock the benefit of the doubt there chris rock asked the simple question are you people stupid are mm. you stupid do you not understand that if you go through with this you will make donald trump more popular that was echoed by none other than the Amazon Prime Washington Post uh, uh, Trump hate columnist Jennifer Rubin, mm. uh, which also came as some surprise. Jennifer Rubin today is pretty much saying the same thing. Look, this could backfire. This could this could be a very uh, this could have a lot of consequences that really we don't want. Do you think that Democrats are collectively? Where do you think they look? I tend to think that they want to declare a national holiday on the day right. that they indict Trump. And if he, if they have a mugshot from Trump, Trump, some of them have been saying, oh, can't wait to see him in handcuffs. Mr. Lock him up is going to be locked up, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. what do you think the reaction overall, if you had a, a, a Democrat, the elders in the Democrat Party, presumably the same people, what would they think of this? <laughs> The, the Democrat Party is all elders, for a start. I mean, 
<laughs> I don't know what you mean by when you say the elders, because between <laughs> Biden, uh, Pelosi and the rest of them, uh, they're remarkably shorter youngers. But because they are elders, they should know that this is not the sort of thing you would do lightly, because what it's going to do is that people who aren't particularly into Trump are going to say, well, I don't think this is right. Look, we've had we've been in classic uh, Soviet Union territory since uh, election night 2016. Uh, Comrade Beria's uh, famous line, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Well, uh, they showed him the man, Trump. And they've been trying to find the crime ever since with that uh, cockamamie uh, Russia investigation, which had absolutely no Russians into it. It was a crock from start to finish. Then they impeach him over the phone call to Zelensky, which was another phony impeachment. Then they think, oh, well, we'll impeach him again uh, over January 6th. They've been uh, they they've had the man since election night 2016, and they've been unable to pin the crime on him. But we shouldn't underestimate what this does to the United States as a going proper. Because it's not a healthy side. The criminalization of political opposition is something that happens in third world dumps. And the politicization yeah. of the justice system here with politicized prosecutors, politicized judges. I know a little bit about this uh, myself from the stupid cases I've been involved in, just like the, we're now in the whatever it is, the 12th year of this stupid case in the District of Columbia. The appeals court had an interlocutory appeal going for a couple of years in which they all dithered and dithered and dithered because they'd been shown the man, me, and they wanted to try and pin the crime on him. And they spent two years trying to come up with a crime they could pin. It's horrible. There is no equality. I love these, you know, uh, constitutionalists who keep referring to the Constitution as if it's still in play. The fact of the matter is, if you don't have equality before the law, Bill Clinton Bill Clinton, we're told that this guy is indicting Trump because Trump claimed whatever he gave to Michael Cohen to give to Stormy Daniels. He claimed it as a tax deduction. Bill Clinton uh, used to give away his used underwear, and used underwear is a phrase that is particularly vivid when it comes to Bill Clinton. He used to give his used underwear to charity and then take a tax deduction on whatever his that. boxes were. Yeah, and nobody said, we are going, this is, no man is above the law. We are going to indict Bill Clinton because he deducted $4 for every pair of used boxer shorts. And by used, we mean used. Uh, nobody did that back then. This is going to, this will destroy this. If this keeps up, if the Democrats keep up the politi the criminalization of political opposition, they will destroy the country, which may indeed be what they want. Well, one of the things that came to my mind, Mark, and I, I have to tell you quite honestly, and I wonder whether it was, well, look, it came to my mind anyway, whether it was right or it's wrong. One of the first reactions I had, well, look, Republicans have district attorneys, too, in red states. Right. If we can go after somebody like Donald Trump, that means if we can go dig that far back for something that happened for, look, she was trying to extort him. She should be the person that would be <laughs> indicted. Look, look, she look, was look, trying to extort him. Look, this is, with respect, James, this is not a normal, I, and I speak as someone who worked in Fleet Street, 
which you can say what you like <laughs> about the London newspapers, but they know about sex scandals. So when this started, <laughs> yeah. when this started, I'm switch. I switch on when all this blew up. I switch on CNN, and there's Stormy Daniels on the TV screen, and Anderson Cooper is asking. He's he's trained for years at the most prestigious journalism schools to ask this question. He 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 utters the deathless words: "Did he use a condom?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is gonna, this is, this is gonna be good. I'm gonna go and uh, make myself a nice cup of tea and settle in for a cracking hour with Stormy Daniels. So I take two minutes out. I get a nice cup of tea. And, uh, next thing I know, I come back and on CNN, Anderson Cooper is talking to some campaign finance expert about whether this is a campaign finance violation. Only in America. Does having an alleged one-night stand with a porn star qualify as a campaign finance violation? That's what's wrong with the country. That's uh, I couldn't get over this. Oh, they're going to indict Trump. Oh, is this because uh, this because he allegedly had an extramarital affair with a porn star and it offends the morals of a decent society? No, no, no. Uh, we think it might be a campaign vi- finance violation. This kind of uh, legal sophistry is garbage. And it's why the U.S. justice system is a laughingstock around the world for everyone except the unfortunates who happen to catch its eye. All right. What should, as a, as a party, what should the Republican Party response be if indeed, now we're told it will be next week most likely, if an if indictment comes next week, if Donald Trump is is brought in, they have already said, oh, we're not going to make him do the perp walk. Oh, gee, that's nice. No, no, but but, but, but just just look at their reasoning for that. They, they're not going to do the perp walk because they think the security guys might get hurt. Like, that's the most... <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So now they're going to virtually arrest him, as I understand it. Their plan, the plan is they're going to virtually arrest him. Uh, well, why don't they uh, just cut to the chase and virtually put him up against a virtual wall and get a virtual firing squad to blow his virtual head off? I mean, the thing is, this is a joke from start to finish, and even the reasoning behind, oh, we're thinking of moving to a virtual arraignment. He's going to be the first head of government in the history of the planet to be arrested on a Zoom call. Oh, right. That's fantastic. Is there no end to the innovations of the American justice system? If this happens, what should the response be of the Republican Party? Kevin McCarthy's own, and Jim Jordan has already said, Okay, we want Bragg to come testify. Bragg is, of course, course being Bragg about mm. the Oh, Politico had the most lovely piece about Mr. Bragg today. Did yeah. you know he's a hero, Mark? He's just, I mean, he's just a... Yeah, no. he, yeah he took $500,000 from Bloomberg, but yeah. he's awful. And New York is safe, by the way. That's yeah, what yeah. we learned. Alvin Bragg has made New York safe. Yeah, the, oh, only, re- the only reason that he... Is able to. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to do with his time. He's got nothing to prosecute. He's got because uh, New York has reached such a utopian state that if you shove a granny onto the subway tracks, you'll be out without bail uh, an hour and a half later. So that's why he's got nothing to do. This guy, uh, except uh, except prosecute the former president. Uh, the the Republicans should actually 
just the, the Republicans should draw a line on this. And it's actually necessary, I think, for people who are, you know, completely indifferent to Trump or people who are among the, the, the less deranged end of the never Trump guys. They should all be opposed to this. this because they think it's Trump actually said this when all this started happening. Uh, it's not really about him. It's about people. It's about the people who refuse to accept the narrow, limited political choices. So the fact of the matter is, if they succeed in taking out Trump, they're going to do it to the next guy. They, they, they're determined to win in 2024, so they'll do it to Jeb Bush or John Kasich or Mitt Romney or whichever wimpo de tutti wimpy that uh, you guys nominate. They're going to do it to whoever else you pick. Let's switch gears for a moment, Mark. I need you to check me on something. And I mean really check, because I wonder if something's wrong with me. I read a story that came out of Los Angeles today. There are 420,000 workers out there, I mean students, that are not going to school. It's a three-day strike. And these are from the custodians and from the bus drivers in the public school systems there, special education assistants. And my first reaction was, oh, here are these unions again. They always are so greedy. They're always trying to disrupt everything. And then the further I dig into this, Mark, these people, these bus drivers, these custodians, these people that are working for, uh, for with the special needs kids out there, hmm. they're starting salaries in some cases at $25,000 a year. Yep. Now, Mark, when I started in this business, my salary was about twenty, twenty-one thousand a year. Entry level. Right. It's now, I don't want to say how much longer, <laughs> but it was a long time ago. Yeah, that and, was, and, and that was, uh, that you can live pretty well on that back in uh, 1937. It's whatever it was. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. and, and even then, I was struggling. Even then, I was struggling living in New York. This is Los Angeles. It's not cheap to live in Los Angeles. And, I, and so these are union employees. They're represented by that awful union that is just a Democrat uh, lackey union, the uh, SEIU. But at the same time, these are real people. And I wonder, how can people afford to live in Los Angeles on those kind of incomes? And are these people, do they have, number one, all the billions of dollars that we pour into education, and yet these people collectively that could bring down the school system are making such low salaries I want to support the the idea that they should be making more money than that. Have I lost my mind here? No, no, you're correct. America pays more per student for education than anywhere in the developed world except Luxembourg. And uh, Luxembourg gets a a, a lot more to to show for it. But I I know a little bit about this because I was on a... um, a uh, school board committee in in my little small town in New Hampshire. And there's a real class divide between the teachers who are unionized and have a powerful union, a powerful union that the Democrats surrender to. Uh, And as you know, basically, they've destroyed a generation of America's children by insisting that they had to sit home for two years during the covid but there's a real there's in and I'll just give my small town as an example because what's interesting about this Los Angeles story is there's half a million school kids uh whereas in 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 my school there's you know usually 80 to 100 school kids my school district 
So it's a very, it's a much smaller school district. But the fact is that the teachers are unionized and powerful, even in a small town. And the people who drive the school buses, which is a very important job, and the people who sit in as the minders on the special with the special ed student and the people who are the janitors, they're making nothing. And as a, I mean, for example, it's the, uh, the wife of the town moderator who drives the school bus in, in my town, just because she's the one who volunteered to do it. And what's interesting to me about the Los Angeles story is you can go from a school district with uh, 80 kids to a school district with half a million kids, and that class divide between the teachers and everybody else is still there. So, yes, there is an, there is an issue here, uh, but, uh, oh, but, you know, the, the problems are, I, I mean, the problems are slightly more basic than that because I don't think actually whether or not a school district should be as few as 80 pupils, I certainly don't think it should have half a million. That's way too big. Yeah, and then and and by the way, all of these people combined, you're talking about a workforce of sixty five thousand people, right? Right. To support right. this, right? So it's just yeah. I wonder how this is going to all end down for them, and and I wonder, you know, we always hear we're not spending enough in education, we're not spending enough. I mean, no, 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 no. That that's completely untrue. As I, as I just said. America spends more than anyone per student except for Luxembourg, which, as you know, is a country that could fit in the size of your rec room. So the total dollar amount is way smaller. But but the amount per student is insane here. And the the question – and and one of the worst developments, by the way, since the Second World War has been the consolidation of school districts – so, uh, you know, just across the river from me in Vermont, for example, they used to have single town school districts. And then the state of Vermont decided, no, no, it wanted them all to merge with each other. You, one thing, you know, they should, they, there shouldn't be a school district with half a million students. We should go back to the school districts uh, that, they, that prevailed in America before the, the Second World War. It was much healthier. Absolutely. Well, Mark, speaking of much healthier... When school's out in July this year, families yeah. included too, but you and I are going to be on the high seas. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be on the high seas. I'm going to be on the mellowing out seas. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've given you a stateroom on the mellow deck, so you'll be extremely mellow. But, yeah, we'll be passing. We'll be, par- we'll be leaving Italy, uh, sailing to Croatia, then Montenegro, then the Greek islands, and uh, we'll be stopping at all those places. So you can find out what they're spending per student in Croatia and Montenegro. And it's going to horrify you because, you know, what they're spending in Montenegro is way less than what they're spending in the state of California. But we're going to have a we're going to have a good time. It's not all going to be education funding seminars. We might just do that for, you know, three hours, six out of eight days or something like that. But but the rest of the time, we're just we're going to have some fun and we'll have some convivial company and people won't have to bite their tongues uh, as you do in Midtown Manhattan. If you're asked what you think of the Trump arrest, you'll be able to uh, express your sentiments honestly and without fear that you'll lose your job or be kicked out of school. Where do people come to join us, Mark? 
Uh, you can uh, find out at Mark Stein, more at MarkSteinCruise.com, and that's Stein with a Y, as to why do I have to listen to this guy trashing the American education system when he sounds to me as if he might have just a little bit of an accent. If you're listening in high-definition Dolby speakers, you might be able to detect just a little bit of an accent. There we have it. Mark, always a pleasure to have you, my friend. We'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Thank you so much, Mark. Always a pleasure, James. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you. Your call is coming up, 800-848-WABC. Bo Snurley's Rush Hour continues, my friends. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these words. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Plan ahead. The happy get-together to all us, the happy together tour, is coming to NYCB Theater at Westbury on Saturday, June 10th. Later in the show, which means it's not that much later, we're going to be giving away some tickets for it. And who do you see? Well, you're going to get a chance to see some of the iconic groups, groups you know very well, the Vogues, the Cowsills, the Union Gap, Gary Puckett and Union Gap, the Turtles, all of that coming to Westbury in June. We're going to have a ticket giveaway shortly. All you have to do at that moment, call our number, 800-848-9222, and you'll have your chance to win. I'll let you know about that coming up shortly. Also... On this day, 1976, this record was released, The Brothers Johnson. Now, they appear to come out of nowhere. This record, folks, you remember. I remember where I was the first time I heard this record. I heard it. I was in the backyard of my mom's house when this uh, the first time I heard this. And it was wow. Like who are these guys? Lewis and George Johnson. Produced by Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones got them this record deal. They had worked with Quincy on a tour in Asia. They had also, before that, worked with Billy Preston. Look Out for Number One was the album. This album went straight to the top of the charts. And this was, I will always remember this. This happened that summer. This record was number one almost all summer long. And it was the summer of 76. It was our bicentennial. So there were celebrations going on everywhere. People were feeling good. And this record was just jamming. And one other thing. One other thing. Larry Graham. You cannot listen to Lewis Johnson play bass and not say he was influenced by the great Larry Graham. Because this is Larry Graham's style. Larry Graham from Sly and the Family Stone, Larry Graham. And Larry Graham has influenced an entire generation of bassists. So there you go. Is it bad if I uh, like the Ray Charles Shaka Khan version better? No, it's not bad because because Quincy Jones produced that too. 
You know, yeah. So it's awesome. All right, uh, let's see. Joe Biden has used his first veto to override a bipartisan bill that would take the ESG, that would be the socialist ESG, environmental and social governance, out of, in, out of investments. They can't, and this is insane, because one of the things that Joe Biden said is that nobody should come in the way of your investments doing well. Well, that's exactly what ESG does. It puts these false criteria on investments that excludes companies from making what's the best investment for retirees and instead puts a bunch of liberal policies or liberal ideology in front of what's best for investors. And there's a lot of reaction to this. This was a bipartisan bill. And he just, out of hand, just, nope, I'm not going to do it. Caved into the progressives. There's more on the story of the Sanford judge that was mercilessly attacked at Sanford University. It turns out that the students at Sanford were upset with this judge because of a ruling that he made over a transgender pedophile. Now we find the underlying cause. It was a pedophile who was at the center of the mass protest at Stanford. This guy wanted to change his gender. He came out as a transgender woman shortly after change, changing his surname. And he also wanted to, this, this was all going to impact the way that his previous conviction for child exploitation and possession of child porn charges worked. That's what this ruling was about, that these Sanford kids were all upset. So in other words, they went nuts because they wanted to protect the interest of a pedophile, and in doing so, they shut down the Federal Society in Stanford, Stanford, Stanford University and shut down a federal judge. And this is this story just gets stranger and stranger every step of the way. If you haven't heard about the UN, the United Nations has come out now with a report that pretty much we're all going to die, climate change, we're all going to die. And now there's an editorial in today's L.A. Times that we, ladies and gentlemen, you, me, everybody, we are all cementing climate change denial with every fossil fuel project that we invest in. I would like to challenge those people at the L.A. editorial board to stop driving their cars immediately and stop and stop using all kinds of energy that have anything to do with fossil fuels. Lead by example. If you're going to tell us to stop using it, you show it how you show the rest of us how it's done you stop using all fossil fuels first. And we'll figure it out from there. Now, I said at the beginning of the show that I had an apology to make and a formal apology, and I need Avery's help in this. Because Avery knows how to communicate with people sometimes that I just have. And, and there were people, were you offended yesterday, Avery, when I referred to those hood rat, to those people in Miami 
that are tearing up the city, shooting each other dead, naked around, these girls naked fighting with each other, booze, drug-crazed kids, to the point that now they won't even sell alcohol after 6 o'clock at night in Miami. And I happen to call some of them hood rats and people, even members of my own family, you know, you had no business calling these these people hood rats. I tried to correct it and say child college students, but so I, I should, were you offended, Avery? No, I was not. You called it like you see it. Okay. Now, for those people that think I should apologize to the hood rats, how would you apologize to hood rats? Uh, Depends. Are we lumping guys and girls in the same group here? Yep. All They're right. all tearing up Miami. By the way, do you, does that turn you on, Avery, when you see all these naked behinds out there on the beach? And it's like, what's with these women? These every woman in 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 below a certain age wants to show her butt to the world in public and have a picture of her butt in a newspaper or on TV. And they're out even fighting with each other. These girls and I mean, this is this is. I, I got to be honest with you. If I was a teenager, I think I'd be I'd be wanting to go to Miami. So I can see this up close, but I'm not a teenager, and I think it's kind of disgusting. I can't lie to you, Bo. It does turn me on. No! <laughs> man can't lie, Bo. He cannot lie. I can't lie. You, well, does all these naked butts and hot young women getting naked and being naked? And Yes, Bo. That turns me on. Oh, my gosh. So how do I say I'm sorry to the hood rats? Uh, well... If you write on the back of a gift card, they might get it. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. Never mind then. Yeah, <laughs> they were already entitled. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But um do you did you ever go to these spring break things? Yes. You did? Yeah. Well, I was living down in Florida for a little bit. So you so oh. Yeah, so you take a trip, you take a trip, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you want to say it's good, clean fun, and I hate people use the term "blowing off steam." I don't know what that means, but I do well. Yeah, I can. Yeah, that, that's all mm-hmm. excuses. Because when you get older, it seems like you you don't understand it. But when you're young, you want people to understand it. But then when you get older, you get more judgmental, and you go, "That's not blowing off steam." I don't know. I think it was. I okay. I Avery, thank you for helping to us because I just. I look at this stuff and I don't understand. And then I'm going to tell you something. There was something that, that really, I was at the gym back when I used to work out. And it wasn't all that long ago. And I'm going to start working out again. And these girls used to come in the gym almost half naked. You could see almost everything. And then what you couldn't see, you could imagine. Because it was that blatant and out front. And I'd be at the gym and all these guys would just walk by all these girls with their, you know, hoochies sticking out and their, and their, and their, and their derriers you know, pointing pointing dead at your eyes. And they used to, all the guys your age used to just walk by him. And I'm like, why don't these guys notice these girls? Aren't they looking at this stuff? And I try not to look. I'm not going to be the sturdy old man looking at these girls, right? So I'm like, why aren't these guys paying any, any attention to them? And then I go to the locker room, and all the guys are standing around pulling up their shirts or shirts off with each other. Hey, man, look at my abs. Look at me. I look so... I'm gonna say, no wonder they're not paying attention to the girls. They're so self-absorbed. They're only looking at themselves. Absolutely. 
your generation, Avery. Hey, nothing to make you hit that treadmill better than having a hot chick in front of you running. It's like the old <laughs> carrot in front of the horse, right, or the donkey. Yeah. You'd do five miles without even knowing it. Yeah, but you're right, Bo. I mean, they the guys are more, uh, you know, fascinated with their own bodies and other guys' bodies than the girls, you know? Sad. I don't understand. I, I never wanted to sound like one of these old people that doesn't understand, but I got to tell you, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Anyway, thanks, guys. We got to head to a break, James. I'm going to take your calls coming back. We're also giving away tickets when we come back. So, in fact, let's do that right now, okay? Happy Together Tour that's coming to NYCB Theater at Westbury on Saturday, June 10th. I have a pair of tickets right now to see the legendary bands like the Turtles, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, the Association, the Vogues, the Cow Sills. This, now, your chance to sing and dance along to all of your favorite classic hits. All you have to do, be the seventh caller of the call right now at 1-800-848-WABC. A pair of tickets to the Happy Together Tour are yours. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to relive the magic of the 60s and the 70s. 800-848-9222, seventh caller. You'll be heading today to the Happy Together Tour at NYCB Theater at Westbury on Saturday, June the 10th. Good luck. Call now. Your call's coming up. Don't go away. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. We talked about the Brothers Johnson's anniversary yesterday, my friends, was the anniversary of this album, the songstress Anita Baker. If you've been listening to the show a long time, you've heard me say in the past that this particular song, co-written by Gary Glenn, a friend of mine, and, uh, you know, Scott, did you, yeah, we, I have a picture of Gary hanging around. Right in back of you. Yeah, and Gary Glenn is no longer with us, sadly, but Gary Glenn, wonderful guy, also wrote some stuff with Earth, Wind, and Fire. But, you know, Anita Baker almost didn't have a career. She had tried to get deals so many times, and you know what they told her? You're not a great singer. You're not a good singer. You're you're not going to, no, 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 no. She was ready to quit at age 22. But she persisted. She had actually left music for a while to take an administrative job at a lawyer's office. But she was approached to record an album for an upstart label in California. And that got her back in. And thank goodness she didn't listen to all the naysayers. Because this album took off and she is still, still regarded as one of the greatest singers of her generation, Anita Baker. All right, let's get back to the telephone, shall we? Victor in Silver Spring, Maryland, place I've spent a lot of time in Silver Spring over the years. Victor, how are you? Welcome. You're on WABC. Thanks. I'm doing okay. And 
I got Rush laughing one time when he asked me how I could tell the good-looking w- girls, and I said I would try to. I would ask if uh, if they were in Braille. And he thought that was funny. But but on a serious note, um, I am really scared to death if Trump is taken into custody uh, that someone's going to try and take him out. Look what happened to Jeffrey Epstein in New York when he was in custody. I mean, the left are absolutely crazy. They want him out. Well, it's interesting that you would bring up Mr. Epstein because let me, first of all, I would not have those same kind of fears. They're not going to hold Donald Trump in jail. It'll be in and out, and it may, because all of this is going to be prearranged and scripted if it happens. They're not going to take a chance on anything that would do that. I would not worry about him being put in Rikers. He's done nothing to merit that. In fact, what this is is a trumped-up misdemeanor anyway, no pun intended, even if it were a charge. A legitimate charge. So I would not worry about that. What I would worry about, and apparently what a lot of people are worrying about, is the public reaction. Do you know that almost every New York City police officer today had leave canceled, and they had a full force just in case an arrest came today? There are barricades already set up at the Manhattan courtroom where this would take place. There are barricades set up, police barricades, near Trump Tower. So you better believe that they are concerned about security. And there was already a pro-Trump demonstration that went off very peacefully. So, in fact, this may be, New York may have been safer yesterday than at any, or today, than at any other time in recent memory because of this, because there's so many police out on the street and in uniform just to make sure that everything's cool with with the MAGA folks. So you know what? Don't worry about Trump's safety in this. Worry about the political damage that happens to America. As Mark Stein said, and I've been saying this too, America is slowly turning into a third world banana republic. This is the kind of stuff that you're not surprised to happen in countries in Southeast Asia or in South America, where you have the opposing... Look, this has happened in Brazil fairly recently. President leaves office, boom, he's arrested. This happens in other countries, and we've always looked our and said, wow, wouldn't want to live in a country like that, and now we're living in it. That's what we need to worry about. Larry in Brooklyn, New York, welcome. You're on WABC Talk Radio 77. Yeah, hi, Bo. I just want to say quickly that um, I don't have a lot of time, that you know the blacks in this country would not have made the strides they made during the civil rights era, if they couldn't call out the racists in society, which they did, you know, George Wallace, et cetera. Now, today, it seems like when the shoe is on the other foot, the white people are are like in trepidation to say somebody's a racist. We are missing the elephant in the room because Alvin Bragg is a racist, and he proved it. When he, he sent Rodney Harrison, the chief of detectives, all the way to California to chase after a 21-year-old woman who tackled a 14-year-old black boy because she thought he had his phone. Now, if I was tackled at 14 by a 21-year-old woman, I would think that that was a day that I scored, you know, and he, he dragged her back, and he made her – this is what this racist did. He made her cop to a felony, a felony on her record, which she could get erased 
if she behaves herself for like two years, but she has to like be like squeaky clean and do his bidding for two years, and then and only then could she get the felony erased. Now he's turning felon, violent felonies into misdemeanors where people are maimed. Okay, so this man has proved that he's a racist, and we're afraid to make that allegation. Well, you're not afraid, but let me just say something about it. You minimize what happened to that young boy. That young boy was humiliated. He shows up, he has a phone. This woman says that he stole her phone and put this boy in. Now, you talk about putting somebody in harm. When you make those allegations, you do put people in harm, and you trash their reputation. You minimize that. That's not nothing to be minimized. Now, I do agree with you that, that making this a felony, that seems like a little bit of an overreach. I do agree with you that the way Alvin Bragg, and look, the Democrats have proved that they are a racist party. When you have a party that freely lets criminals back onto the streets where they can prey on people, and the number one target that these criminals are preying on are minorities because most of the criminals that they're releasing back on the street happen to be minorities. Sorry if people are offended, but that's the way it goes. Those are the numbers. That's the truth. Okay? So when you do all of this and you deprive people of their safety, and you can make the case that that is racist policy. You can make the case that allowing schools to fail in these same neighborhoods decade after decade is racist policy. I do agree with you that there is an element of racism in the way that Democrats approach what they call social justice and what I call their ideology of education and crime altogether. But I don't want to minimize people's experiences either. This boy was traumatized by that, and he should have been. Well, my friends, that's it. we got to wrap it up. Hey, Rick from Elmwood Park, give us a call tomorrow. I want to talk to you. And I want to talk to Paul and everybody else that didn't get on. So we're here tomorrow, God willing, at 4 o'clock. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families. Thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you to my crew. Always the best. We'll see you tomorrow. Cats up next. Bye. Thank you.